All right, I'm really excited to start a new series with you today. It's called I'm That Fool. And uh, I uh, really enjoy that picture. If you can't see it very clearly, the guy's sitting on the wrong side of the limb that he's sawing off. And <clears throat> I'm a little uncomfortable stating so boldly and clearly that I'm that fool, but that's what the series is all about. I've never actually straddled the wrong side of the limb, but metaphorically speaking, yes, frequently I believe one thing, do another, and with the doing of the other, I'm sort of falling off the limb that I'm sitting on and that kind of thing. So we're going to be looking at Proverbs throughout this series as well as other supporting um, scriptures outside of Proverbs as we look at this theme. Today's theme is, I'm wise in my own eyes. In Proverbs, we have this uh, recurring theme over and over again, contrasting the way of the wise with the way of the fool. And if you are anything like me, you might be reading along and totally agreeing with what is self-evident before us as the wise writer writes about wisdom. We go, yes, that's wise. We agree with the wisdom. and We agree that that foolish way that is opposed to that wisdom is so foolish. Yes, yes, we agree. And we just move on and we, we agree and we assume, yes, we're, we're going to be wise. We're not going to be foolish. And what I want us to recognize is that every time we think that we are among the wise and not the foolish, which is my tendency because I know it in my head and I agree with it in my heart that I must be among the wise. <clears throat> Wrong. That's not how it works. Just because you know it's wise, just because you know it's right, doesn't mean you do it, does it? And doesn't mean you live it. And I find myself doing the thing that is foolish or thinking the thing that is foolish and even assuming I'm with the wise. And in that case, every time I assume I'm among the wise, I'm wise in my own eyes. And so that's the tendency that I might have. Now, there's a danger in doing a, a series that's entitled I'm That Fool and I'm going to use my own life as an example uh, throughout each of these ser series messages, the danger is you might say, okay, I'm ready to follow him. I'll be that fool too. And, or you might have the other reaction. If he's that fool, I'm not gonna be a part of this church. Why should I be a part of a church where the pastor thinks he's a fool? And so I'm not advocating following my foolishness. I'm advocating making sure that you're ready to admit it when you're a fool. Because if you're not ready to admit when you're a fool, you're actually in a much more dangerous place than thinking you're wise. And so we begin with this Proverbs 26, 12 that reads this way. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. It'd be better if you were foolish than to think you're not is what this is saying. And isn't it interesting to read that? Because even as I look at the wisdom sayings and the foolish sayings, I constantly identify with the wisdom sayings and don't think that I'm the fool. And yet we better recognize that we are foolish. We do foolish things. And only is there hope if we will admit, I'm that fool, then you can do something about it. And so I'm not teaching any of this throughout this whole series to condemn myself 
And I'm not teaching any of this through this whole series to bring any condemnation in your direction. I'm teaching this whole series, every single one of them, to bring hope. Hope to us fools. And if you won't go there with me and ever admit that you are a fool, you're in a very dangerous place. And I want us to see that right away. So the way I want us to see it right away is to quickly jump into a story Jesus tells. I'm not going to tell the story yet because we're going to read the, the, the bigger piece of it at the end, but I'm just going to take a snapshot of how it's not as things appear. Jesus tells a story about a foolish sinner who prays a certain way and then a righteous person who prays a different way and it's not as it seems because the fool ends up reconciled to God and the person who's righteous ends up not being reconciled to God. And here's Jesus' description in Luke 18, 11 and 12. The Pharisee, just in case you're not familiar with the Pharisee, the Pharisee is a, the religious elite of Jesus' day. He and the scribes or the teachers of the law were very looked up to. They were experts in the Bible, their Bible, the Old Testament. Experts memorized the thing and were declaring what's the way of the wise and declaring here's, if you want to live this, this is how you have to live it. And meticulous in their legalism, this Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, those of you who are familiar with Jesus' story, um, it all kind of makes us uncomfortable even thinking that people could be so self-righteous. But in Jesus' day, they kind of get it. They kind of get, and they respect somebody that is so confident in their righteousness that they could pray before God as if, I'm, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me and I'm not like the rest. And it just makes me want to ask the question, who was wise in his own eyes in this little contrasting story? And it's really clear that this Pharisee is wise in his own eyes. And it makes me want to ask the next question, Certainly, don't you think he's read Proverbs where it says repeatedly over and over again, do not be wise in your own eyes? And the obvious answer is, of course, he's read it. He has it memorized. He's taught it. So where's the incongruency here? How could a guy who teaches never be wise in your own eyes pray this way? Hello, welcome to the series. This is how we tend to be. We know something is right. We think we are listed among the wise. And we don't see the foolishness of our own lives when we think we are wise and unlike the fool. And yet we do this a lot. And I do this. And until I will admit that I do this, I will dismiss when I do this. And if you don't admit that you do this, you're going to be in a dangerous spot. So how is it that this guy can do this? Believe that he's not wise in his own eyes and pray like he's obviously wise in his own eyes. 
And here's just a few words in my thinking is how this happens. It happens this way. Arrogance is self-deceiving. Arrogant people don't think they're arrogant. They think they're right. And they don't see that as arrogance. They're just right and the others are wrong. And so they're not wise in their own eyes. They're just spewing off their wisdom because they're right. And in this series, although it's going to be uncomfortable for me to teach it, I'm inviting you to be that fool, not the Pharisee who thinks he's wise, but the fool who sees his foolishness and prays for help and mercy. The fool who's done the foolish thing and will admit it. I'm that fool. So in other words, when I see that I'm wise in my own eyes, to go, oh, crud. I'm wise in my own eyes. That's horrible. I'm wise in my own eyes. I'm that fool. Let me give you five statements that this whole series is going to be about. These are the five weeks that we're going to be together. And week one is I'm wise in my own eyes. Week two is I don't like discipline. Week three is I'm defensive when corrected. Week four is I trust myself. And week five is I vent my anger. The hardest one for me to admit that I do is I vent my anger. It's only occurs infrequently. Oh, come on, give me a break. I'm that fool. I do that too. And each one of these I've been caught on. And I want to just say, I'm that fool. I want you to be able to say that too. Here's why. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says a doozy of a comment that actually surprises and shocks the crowd and makes others angry. And it's found in Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now imagine being a commoner who realizes Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're like way up here, and then we are like, you know, gra- gravel on the ground. We, we just have a hard time. We mess up every day, and we know it, and we, we can just point out our mess ups. And those guys, they've got this thing wired. They fast twice a week. They give exactly what God says, and they obey all the commands, and they just, they know it. And, they, and then Jesus says, unless your righteousness can surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's shock on the faces of the common people. I wonder, though, if there's also a little bit of glee on the faces of some of them. Yeah. I'm glad he said that. Because, like, we see right through them. And, And there's... Maybe both, but regardless, for the next six paragraphs, which we're not studying this series after Jesus says this, Jesus dismantles the righteousness of the Pharisees. For the next six paragraphs, he dismantles their interpretation of the law and their additions to how they 
let themselves off the hook to make it work for them so that they can basically say, we've, we've done this, we've achieved this, we are righteous in this way. He dismantles it because they have this righteousness on an on a external level, on an appearance level, on an exterior, exterior behavioral, I can see this level. They say we are blameless. And Jesus dismantles it right down to what about your heart? What about your desires? What about true righteousness, being good from the inside out? And he just dismantles their whole approach. It is not achievable the way you think. And if you think you can achieve righteousness the way the Pharisees and the teachers of the law achieve righteousness, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And I guarantee this, you will never admit you're that fool. Because you've achieved it. You've arrived. And God accepts you. And God thinks you're wonderful. And Jesus says that's not how it's going to work. If you want in the kingdom, you've got to be able to admit your need. Point number one. I make wrong comparisons. The Pharisees did this. They're making wrong comparisons. I do this. It's a common mistake. I would guess most people do this. If I were to suggest to you to be really honest, I would suggest that you do this. We compare ourselves with others and let ourselves off the hook, or we let ourselves feel a little bit better. In 2 Corinthians 10:12, we read, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. When you do that, you're that fool. Seems like um, in my lifetime, the self-esteem teaching craze was really, really strong. Seems like even sports and trophies and kids changed as it relates to, let's not damage self-esteem. It seems like all of us almost have been taught the preschool song that goes something like this, I am special, I am special, look at me, look at me. And maybe you haven't been taught the song, but everybody's been pumping that into your heart and mind and psyche to the point where it's like, do we really need to convince our kids they're special? They're already little self-centered creatures that are, the whole universe revolves around them. Do we just keep pumping them with the truth that isn't even true? I am special. Uh, As if they're better than everybody else? Is that the formula for success in relationships and in the workplaces? That I'm special, better than all the rest. I suggest we get to a deeper truth. We already think too much of ourselves. We're already self-centered by nature. At least I was. And I make wrong comparisons. 
A woman was sitting in the waiting room for her first appointment with a new dentist. She noticed his diploma on the wall. She suddenly remembered that a tall, handsome, dark-haired boy with the same name as on the diploma had been in her high school class so many years ago. She wondered, could this dentist be the same guy, the guy I had a crush on way back then? She quickly discarded any such thought when she met the balding, gray-haired dentist with a deeply lined face. He's way too old to have been my classmate, she thought to herself. Still, after he examined her teeth, she asked, did you happen to attend Morgan Park High School? Yes, I'm a Mustang, he gleamed with pride. When did you graduate, she asked. 1972, he said. Why do you ask? You were in my class, she exclaimed. Really? He said, looking at her closely. What did you teach? All that to say, our self-concept mirror is warped. And God is constantly giving us corrective lenses to help our warped self-concept. Here's one. James 1 23 through 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I want you to notice that James just compared the word of God with a mirror a corrective lens to help us see ourselves correctly because we have a self-warped concept in the mirrors that we're looking at, in the comparison mirror, in the self-centered mirror. The Word of God is way more honest about what we're really like. And yet, we look into it and we go, oh yeah, I'm like the wise one not the fool. Oh yeah, I'm like the righteous one, not the sinner. Oh yeah, I know this, I've got this, as if by knowing it and understanding it and agreeing with it, you are it. Look again. And yet, we do look, but we're looking in the wrong mirror because we let ourselves off the hook. So we don't look deep enough to see, no, I am that fool. And so, we need to look at Proverbs not with that quick dismissal of I know this, I've got this, I'm not that, I'm this, and look again in the mirror of God's word. Here's another corrective lens, Isaiah 28, 17. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. We hide in a self-deceptive lie because we measure ourselves against one another instead of measuring ourselves against the plumb line of God's righteousness. And if we could measure ourselves against the plumb line of God's righteousness, we would recognize that we're off and not plumb. Or as some would say it, one 
bubble short of level, <laughs> right? And so the plumb line and the measuring line is God's truth instead of our warped self-understanding of how we are. Do you make these wrong comparisons with one another instead of the word? And if you do, in what context do you do that? Is it where you start making wrong comparisons on social media and you can kind of feel bad or better? Is it by watching the news and you really look at all the wicked, bad, evil people, you feel better about yourself? At least I'm not that bad. One line on the screen, the wrong comparison is self-deceiving. Whatever it is that we're comparing horizontally, the wrong comparisons are self-deceiving. Compare yourself instead with God's word, the mirror, the measuring line, God's plumb line. I know this, and I still often make wrong comparisons. Point number two, I forget to have an outward mindset. I forget to have an outward mindset. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 reads, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this comes in the context where it says you need to have the attitude of Jesus Christ, and Jesus lived this way, where he didn't live for his own self-interest. He lived to serve the interests of others, and, and you and me. Instead of preserving his own life, he was willing to give his life away to save us. That's an outward mindset like no other. He's willing to set his own needs aside as he humbles himself and forgets himself and loses himself in God's will to help us find God's will. That's an outward mindset like no other. Jesus is the model of the one who's able to set his own interests aside and seek the best interest of others, and I want to be just like him. We all want to be like him. If you don't want to be like him, you won't call yourself a follower. That's what it means to follow him, to learn from him. And this is a description of what that looks like. I forget to have an outward mindset. I'm that fool. Point number three, I speak too quickly. Now this is interesting because not in every setting. <laughs> in, in some settings, I'm not very chatty. In other settings, I'm a little too chatty. Okay, you've seen me... A, up here, and you, if you don't know me well, you might think, man, he can carry on a conversation all by himself. And just rest assured, this is prepared conversation. Out in the hallway, I'm like the socially inept, awkward guy that feels totally inadequate to carry on a conversation. I'm just not real good at it. I'm not very chatty. I try. So when you go, he's really awkward. Yep. I kind of am. And um, I only have so many words, and I use them all up here. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but there are other places where I'm too chatty. You know where I'm too chatty? Get me on my subject. 
and just act a little interested. You can't shut me up. It's like, get me talking theology or applied theology. Ask me a personal question that's just related to theology or how to apply this theology and act interested. Man, I just can't stop. And then it turns out to be really bad, occasionally, uh, when I meet with my senior pastor friends and I meet together with my senior pastor friends in town every Wednesday, have for 30 over 30 years. And I always have to caution myself. Stop dominating the conversation. Stop talking. You know, there's a bunch of people here. I mean, if it just with two people, the, the proportions are this. You've been given two ears, one mouth, use it proportionally. Listen twice as much as you talk. Well, then do the math when there's a bunch of you. Look at how many mouths there are. Look at how many ears there are. And just Speak proportionally. I, I fail miserably at this and don't even realize it. And I had this gut level check not too long ago where I felt like, ooh, I said too much. Not like I was wrong in what I said. I just like, this is not the Jim Hammond show, right? And I just felt sick, particularly when I read verses like this, James 1.19. My, ne- my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Oops. And slow to become angry. And then right after I had that kind of gut chat, like I, I talked too much, I happened to hear somebody talk on Romans 12, 16. I thought, oh, there it is. And then I'm going to read it to you. And then I, I worked, I got to memorize this one. So I memorized the James one and the Romans one. And I'm trying to get it to be kind of corralling my tendencies to, so that I can reshape my thinking. So here's the Rom- Romans one, 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There it is again. It's basically a quote of Proverbs. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I'm passing along tips that I've learned, both the things that mistakes that I've made and what works in ministry and what doesn't work in ministry, and they don't care. Jim, let them ask if they want to ask. And don't be wise in your own estimation. On the screen, why do I let the smallest bit of knowledge puff me up and fill me full of myself? I'm that fool. There's so much more that I know I don't know than what I know. In fact, that's really a mark of the educated. The more educated you are, the more you realize you don't know. You know a little bit. But the more you know a little bit, the more you realize there's a whole bunch more to know. And why is it that when you know a little bit and you focus on what you little bit you know and you want to pass along what you know, that you come across like that fool? But I can admit it, and I'm going to work on it, and God will give me grace and mercy if I admit it. If I don't admit it, ooh, I can't imagine anybody want to be with me. Right? I don't want to be with that guy. Now, we have one more point to make today. It's probably the most important point, but before I make the most important point, I want to give you a practice um, piece. Some of you are going to take me up on this, maybe because you haven't, you're not in a particular reading plan right now, and you go, oh, this sounds good during this season. So here's the practice thing. You don't have to write it down if you've got the outline in front of you. It's the last practice piece on your outline. Practice through this series. Read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the date of the month. 
For example, on March 8th, read Proverbs 8. Make a note or two on which wise saying you found most helpful. Now, that making a note or two is going to be the most important thing to dig in a little bit deeper. Don't just take the surface and agree with it. Look at yourself in the mirror again and don't allow the self-concept to just dismiss, dismiss, yeah, I got this, yeah, I got this. Think again because you'll discover you don't always have this. Okay? And so this will take us at least wrap around through all of Proverbs if you'll take me up on it starting today. So read What is today, the sixth? Read Proverbs 6, you get the idea, okay? Now, having said that, little practice piece, now I'm about to make the most important point today, so here's the ramp up. Point number one was I make wrong comparisons. Point number two was I forget to have an outward mindset. Point number three is I speak too quickly. Point number four is this, but when I admit I'm that fool, good news comes, When I admit I'm that fool, good news comes. I'll just amplify it a little bit. If you don't admit you're that fool, good news is not coming. You've got to be able to admit it. You've got to be able to admit that you're wrong. If you're the kind of person that never admits you're wrong, you're wrong. Okay? Now I'm going to read the whole story of Jesus. We'll see it and be amazed. Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, that is an incredible lead-in to the story that Jesus is going to say. This is who he said it to. The ones that are singing to themselves, I am special. He's saying it to us, okay? (laughs) All right. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus concludes that little story. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which one was reconciled to God that day? It was not the one who thought he had arrived and was wise. It was the fool who could admit that he was the fool and ask for help. Now, here is how God makes it possible for a fool like you or a fool like me to be reconciled. 1 Corinthians 1.18 reads, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you think you're wise, You will think the way of the cross is foolish. 
But if you know you are that fool, you'll be wise if you come to the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would help us because we have this ego, this pride, this quick rationalization, the readiness to let ourselves off a hook, to quickly compare and say we're not that bad, to say we're good enough or any number of other combinations of things to make ourselves feel better. And we're asking you to help us in this series to be able to admit that we need you, that we're off that the plumb line declares it like it is, that we're sinners and foolish and often do things that are opposite of what we know to be right. We need your mercy. We need you to help us in these habit patterns and thought patterns and how we think of ourselves. So Lord, would you please help us starting today as we jump into your Proverbs and your word and look at ourselves again the way you do, to be able to admit over and over again, we need you, we need you, we need help from you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. It's only by what you've done on the cross that that help is available to those of us who are sinners, foolish, and unable to be righteous before you. We're not trying to achieve a righteousness, we would like to receive it from you and live it on a daily basis. Keep receiving, keep receiving, and honor you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have a prayer team to the right of this, left of the stage, to my right. Uh, if you've got anything you'd like to have prayer about, I encourage you to be there. Hope to see you next week for part two of I'm That Fool. God bless you. Oh, everything about the start here is across the hallway, so don't hang out and wait in this for the second service start here. It's across the hallway in the... Uh, but it says library, but it's not the library. Our little room across the hallway.